Let's run nation. Do you want the inside scoop from this weekend's London Marathon? You gotta be a supporters club member. Join today, let's run.com slash subscribe to get a second podcast every week, all the let's run content, VIP forum, huge savings and running shoes, less ads on the site, let's run.com slash subscribe. Link in the show notes. This is superhuman. This is road running from a different planet here in Berlin in 2022. Elliot Kipchoge smiles for the last time. Let's keep an eye on the clock just outside 201. Elliot Kipchoge is a history maker in Berlin. Yet again, he has done it. The world record is gone. And now he can celebrate. And that is simply stunning. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. That was Chris Dennis on the call of the 2022 Berlin Marathon. And if you got up early at 3 a.m. on the East Coast to watch him on Sunday, Elliot Kipchoge did not disappoint. He broke the marathon world record for the second time, running 201.09 to win the Berlin Marathon. We're going to break that down a little bit more with a few days to reflect. Could any American men right now have kept up with him through his 59-51 halfway split? We'll dig in. We also had a shock in the women's race with 2016 Olympian. At 800 meters, Tigas Decefer of Ethiopia running 215.37, just her second marathon to become the third fastest woman of all time. A little farther back, Kira D'Amato's American record attempt failed, but she still ran the 10th fastest marathon ever by an American woman. 221.48 to finish sixth. Plus, the NCAA cross country season began in earnest at Oklahoma State. The host Cowboys and Cowgirls swept the individual titles at the Cowboy Jamboree on Saturday. Alex Mayer and freshman sensation Natalie Cook getting the victories there. Team-wise, BYU and Oklahoma State taking the wins. We'll talk a little cross country. Speaking of that, Oregon coach Jerry Schumacher Hosted a party at Haywood Field on Friday. Did you go? We'll get Rojo's takes on that. Plus, Supporters Club members, stay tuned until the end of this one because you may get to hear a buzzed Rojo calling into the ticket in Dallas on Monday night after the Cowboys game with a nuclear-grade Cooper Rush take. You will not want to miss that. So I welcome in Robert Johnson, Weldon Johnson. This is... Jonathan Gold, we are your three hosts for what we like to call the greatest running podcast in the world. Guys, hope you had a nice weekend. Congrats on the Cowboys winning on Monday night. Ready to talk some track with you guys today. Great to be here, John. But I think the real congratulations go to you. My condolences are going to have to go out to Weldon. Elation on the sporting field for you, Jonathan. Devastation for Weldon. Your beloved Dartmouth men's cross-country team without a coach destroyed those Yale Bulldogs over the weekend at Franklin Park with you in attendance, cheering them on. I don't know if a victory over Yale is really something to celebrate. Uh, It's kind of an expectation at Dartmouth College, but I will accept your uh, congratulations, Robert. Oh, wow. College roommate of mine, John King. Came by, stopped by the house Sunday. He's got a senior in college and a freshman on the cross-country team at Yale. He's very excited what he told me. We're thinking long-term, long-term at Yale. We're, we'll be back on top soon. Meanwhile, I've got a two-year-old, 
Shows I'm living the dream, baby. I'm living the dream. Younger wife. But can we talk running? But college cross country is running. It's the Heps. I know it's not the Pac-12 or Big Ten or something like that, but that's running. But yes, let's talk elite professional running, which is what the listeners of this podcast tuned in for. And a big shout out to Elliptigo. Usually, folks, the second podcast every week is only for supporters club members. But with the Kipchoge world record, we released it to everybody. So you guys got some of our day of hot takes on the race. Thanks to Elliptigo. But we've now had, let's see, my math's not very good, over 48 hours to think about this amazing run. Reprocess it. Maybe run through our heads the exact same things that have been going through our heads about Kipchoge every two or four years. You're like, this is effing unbelievable. But guys, 48 hours later, what are your thoughts? Well, one of the things I have come to appreciate about Kipchoge, and I do wonder, is this guy a man or machine? Because it came out the other day, Bridget Cosguy, the world record holder on the women's side, has withdrawn from the London Marathon, which is taking place on Sunday. Let's run. We'll have boots on the ground coverage. I'll be there in London on race day. Looking forward to that. But remember, Cosguy, she's... Super, super talent. Over a minute faster than any other woman in history. But last year, she was kind of banged up. She wasn't 100% at the Olympics when she got second to Perez Jepchia. Now she's had to withdraw from London. When is the last time you ever heard of Elliot Kipchoge withdrawing from a marathon? When is the last time you even heard he was kind of injured or his training hadn't gone 100%? This doesn't make any sense. He's been an elite marathoner for 10 years, and I can't remember any sort of hint of an injury during that entire time. Can you guys? That might be the most remarkable thing, even more than his world records, is he sustained marathon training at an elite level for an entire decade, and not once has he dealt with any sort of major injury. It's a good take, John. Because when I went back and looked at his results, the guy's been firing in all cylinders. Except you could have thought heading into essentially the Tokyo Olympics last year. The only year that he's run one marathon was 2020. He skipped the spring marathon season. But the reason he skipped the spring marathon season was because of COVID. That actually sort of maybe got him out of his rhythm. Because the only hiccup he's had since, is it to 2014? He made his debut in 2013. And he hasn't. Other than this race you're about to mention, he hasn't lost a marathon since 2014. Since 2013. Yeah, it's just crazy. Is his eighth place finish at the London Marathon in October of 2020? That was, you know, the first COVID fall. Then the next year, they, I mean, it's people we forget. Spring of 2021, there were. Still no major marathons run. Everything was pushed to the fall. So the NN running team organized this, I can't say it, Onshad Marathon. Kipchoge run it, won it in 204.30. But you're sort of wondering there, well, okay, 204.30 for him, that's not that fast. He got beat in London. Maybe it's over. Since then, we've had 
dominant Olympic marathon victory. A 202.40 course record in Tokyo, and now a 201.09 world record in Berlin. It's it's and he's 37 years of age. Uh, yeah, John, it's we never seen anything like it. I don't. Maybe with new shoes, we will see something like it. And our podcasting software here, we see a little picture of. He's definitely gotten older, John. It's a young Elliot Kipchoge in this photo. I'm not sure what year this photo was taken about, but I think this is from the track days. Well, he does age. He does does age. age. He does age. He actually looks old. If you look at pictures of him, on, I'm like, it's kind of crazy that this is a guy at the absolute peak of his profession, the most dominant athlete in the sport of distance running. Because I look at him, his face, you would say he might look in his 40s or, well, maybe even fifties. Like it, it's not as if he looks young, but his body is as, as good as it has ever been. Well, you're not the only one that thinks that John friend of let's run shoe expert supporters club member, Jeff Burns, ultra marathon stars. Well, I don't know if he's a star, but he's an ultra marathoner. Jeff Burns has put out on Twitter. Thinks Kipchoge might actually be 41. He says, his reported birth, birth year is 1984, but he graduated from secondary school in 1999. That means he would be age 15 when he graduated. My understanding of the Kenyan edu- education system is that it's similar to the U.S. and that someone would graduate at 18. So if you had three years, he indeed would be 41. Would that tarnish it a little bit, John, though? It makes his performances more impressive, but then Kipchoge is an age cheat. Oh my God. I know. I mean, Robert, I know. Well, I don't know that you're joking a hundred percent because you still, you seem to think that Edward Cesarek's college and professional performances were tarnished by him maybe being older than he reported he was when he came over to the United States. But yeah, would it shock? Look, Jeff's sort of theorizing here that he may be as old as 41 and that wouldn't surprise me. Because again, he also won the world title as an 18-year-old in the 5,000 meters in 2003. And if you say, okay, he actually might have legitimately been 18, or maybe he was 21 at the time, and I don't know. Who knows with the Kipchoge? No matter how old he really is, his longevity is ridiculous. We've been over this. He won the world title on the track 19 years ago, and now he's the best marathoner on earth. So, Yeah, but I mean, I think the age is important because We've seen it. You can be right near your peak, and then two or three years later, you're done. You know, and you know the stat that I researched of the top 100 fastest marathoners in history, none of them have run their PR at age 38 or later. And this was the last marathon he'll run at age 37. But I've got a sort of—it's not really a correction. I just got to give a shout out, maybe to. Let's run visitor Vladimir Bonas. I guess, did he contact you directly, John? Or did he put out on Twitter? He emailed me, yes. But he has pointed out that Carlos, Carlos, is it Lopez? I should know it. It's not Lopes, is it? I believe it's Lopez, yeah. He ran a world record of 207.12 in Rotterdam in 1985 at the age of 38. So, you know, that stat. Not that many, you know, eventually your body gives away, but the stat could be a little misleading because there's not, back in the day, there wasn't a lot of financial incentive to keep running that late in life, but I guess there's more now. 
I think that's that's one of the key points here, Robert. It's not necessarily about age, it's about opportunity. Because Kipchoge, if he's actually 41, that means he's broken the world record. He's run his fastest time well after that age 38 cutoff. And if you told me he was going to go to London in the spring of 2023 and take another shot at the world record and try to run 201 flat, or if he went to Berlin next fall and tried to run 201 flat or sub 201, I think he'd be able to do it. But we think he's supposed to run Boston and New York next year if he wants to go for this major quest. And once you turn 38, yes, you're not going to have a window of five more years to run a PR. If you PR, at, you know, if you're running at 33, you're going to have a window of a few more years to to keep improving. The, you, most marathoners don't run that many races after the age of 38. So if you hit one big time, maybe you could run a PR, but there just isn't a huge sample size. But like you said, now that it's more professionalized sport and that we've got Athletes like Kira D'Amato, like Sarah Hall, like Elliot Kipchoge extending their careers at the back end. Maybe you do see more athletes running their PRs at 38, 39, 40. Because we should say the Canadian record, we didn't really talk about that much over the weekend, but Natasha Wodak in the women's race broke the Canadian record in Berlin. She ran 2.23.12. And she is 40 years old. So we did see one, you know, she's not one of the hundred fastest women of all time, but she's an elite marathoner and she just ran a lot faster than anyone in Canada ever had at age 40. I think in the marathon, you don't need the speed and the power that you need in the track. I still think on the track, I mean, maybe we'll be proven wrong. We're seeing it in other sports, Tom Brady athletes competing much older. I still think you need the power and the speed. You need to be your physical closer to your physical peak. I think the marathon it's lifelong endurance. Clearly Kipchoge is rewriting the books. Robert stat was amazing. Like he's the oldest of the top hundred with the PR, but wait, number two on the list is Kenanese Bekele, the second fastest guy of all time. So the greats, or maybe more people, could keep going. They just don't think about it. Meb Kofleski won Boston at an old age. These guys are rewriting the game. And it's a good thing, John, we didn't send you to Berlin. We dropped the ball. I think at some point, this guy has to slow down. But I want to play an audio clip. We're going to give up on Let's Run. We're not going to embarrass ourselves anymore. I'd like to play an audio clip from the famed... Not many people have heard this because this was a supporters club only podcast. This is from it's from August 2021, right? The eve of the Olympic marathon last year. I was going to give an exact date, but I guess that's not necessary. Here we go. Rojo on the let's run.com track talk supporters club podcast. Heard some rumors, folks. I hope you're sitting down. We've heard that Kipchoge may not be in good shape. That's the hot news in the press room tonight. Kipchoge. That's what we heard then. But before we, everybody punches Robert, makes fun of him, let me play a clip from two days ago, right after the finish of the Berlin Marathon. Here it is, the great Tim Hutchins. 
This man leaves you scrambling for superlatives again and again. Why did we ever doubt him? There have even been whisperings from one or two people who claim to have been in the know in the last few days that the world record would not go today. Well, more fool them, more fool us for giving any credibility to those opinions. Because Elliot Kipchoge knew. So is this like a parlor game? People are just pranking everybody like, hey, Kipchoge is not in shape. So we're like, oh, he's not going to win. I think probably people, yeah, they just want to be right. They want to say like, oh, I called it. I said that he would be falling off. And I just actually do want to say for the record at 2020 bold predictions at the start of the, the year for the Let's Run.com podcast, I said Elliot Kipchoge would lose a marathon. And he did lose a marathon. He got beat in London that year. So that's what people want to do. They want to say, I was on the record having called it. So uh, I, I don't know what Weldon's talking about. I didn't call anything from that clip. All I said was, this is what we've heard. You guys sent us to Tokyo and spent a fortune of money so that we would hear the inside scoop. I was reporting what I heard. Oh, I agree. I agree, Robert. I didn't hear a prediction in there. Robert was doing his job as a journalist. We were trying to give you the boots on the ground scoop. So I, I, I backed you on that. You're confident that you picked him? I could probably pull up that audio, too. <laughs> I'm just saying that. Check the prediction contest logs. That's the that's the real truth. Who did Robert pick in the prediction contest? And we had a Berlin prediction contest. Very simple one. We gave away some Let's Run.com shirts to the winners. I just said, give me the winning time and your prediction. We had three people come within two seconds of Kipchoge on the men's side. And we, we had people picking Kipchoge under two hours. And... That's the coolest thing, I think, for me, for this one. I said he wasn't going to get the record, but him getting the record wouldn't, you know, it didn't shock me. But him going out under an hour was completely shocking. He nearly would have broken, you know, the American record in the half marathon in this thing. And he's like, look, this was not the plan. I felt good. I just said, what the hell? Maybe I can do it. Like, that is greatness. And... I think he just thinks differently. Do you think that was actually, he was just a mid-race adjustment, Weldon? Or do you think the plan all along was to go out on 60 flat pace and they were just saying 60-40 or 60-50 to sort of take some of the pressure off publicly? Because he very deliberately never said he was going for the world record in any of the pre-race stuff, even though he clearly was and everyone knew it. No, I tend to believe what he said afterwards that he just adjusted on the fly this guy just he just defies what we know about the marathon what we know about the sport it's it's crazy even now he had a thing yesterday you know the author says this is a press release put out by berlin Ilya kipchoge did give a hint of what the future might hold including further attempts to run sub two hours in the marathon this is where kipchoge says i can't say now but if i feel i could do it i would go and try my legs and my body still feel young and my mind is so strong. And I don't think there, I, I still don't think he's going to go back and make a concerted effort at two hours. I think he's going to do the Boston, the Boston and the New York. I think he's just saying like, he, I, it, to me, that backs up what he did in this race. He's in the race. He's like, screw it. Yeah. I like, feeling good. Like what can my body do today? And what his body can do today? We just saw it at least going out and sub two hour pace. He did it. 
I mean, he did it and did not blow up completely. So he broke the damn world record by 30 seconds. There was clearly a lot of meat left on that bone. I think I should issue an apology to Mr. Kipchoge. When he signed up for Berlin, it just did nothing for me. I wanted to see him run New York or Boston, but I I don't know if I watched the last world record in Berlin. I don't remember being excited about it. I don't remember seeing his personality, seeing him celebrate like this. I really enjoyed this one. And he celebrated basically the exact same way in both races. He, ha- he was very emotional. He beat his chest. He hugged Patrick saying, you, apparently, I guess you didn't watch 2018 because it was very similar to how he celebrated that time as well. And although we didn't send John to Berlin, we were thinking about it. John, did you see Kipchoge is going to be in London? I did. He's going to be handing out some medals or something for the mini marathon on Saturday, I believe. Yes, on Saturday, John. Um, you'll be there, right? Uh, I'll be in England. Uh, this is a late. This is a late addition to the schedule of events. If I'd known Kipchoge was going to be in London on Saturday, maybe I wouldn't have already made plans. But uh, no, I'm going to be a few hundred miles away in Liverpool, actually. Folks, there it is. On the company dime, John, instead of talking to Elliot Kipchoge, will be at the Liverpool Brighton soccer match. I apologize. Well, I just John to Berlin too. He hey, go. maybe people Venmo John. Can you take a private jet and get back in time? I would have gone to Berlin. That we looked at it, it was outrageous. It's like impossible to get to Berlin from Boston or London with a, you know any degree of affordability. But I'll look, I'll tell you if this is what I if I had a conversation with Kipchoge, this is how it would go. Say I was very happy to run a beautiful race and inspire all these runners with my performance on Sunday. Uh, yes, one day I would still like to run Boston and London. Um, I want to go all the way to Paris 2024. He wouldn't make, but he's not going to say which race he's going to do next year. I, I don't, Elliot is inspiring. He has an aura around him. He's a magical individual, but he's also quite good at not saying specifics in interviews. So my mind is strong. The body yeah. is strong. <laughs> yes. A, thank you to the people of Berlin. And I hope that everyone can see that no human is limited. So, yeah. Uh, speaking of that first half, though, Weldon, I'm still amazed by it. 59-51. We, even in his sub-two attempts, I don't think he went out that fast. I think it was right around 60 flat or maybe 59-59, 60-01, something like that. And those were with the rotating paces and personal drink service. It might be a very, very long time until you see anyone go out in 59-51 for the first half of the marathon again maybe longer. We might not see that again. We might see a new world record before we see someone do that again. So I wanted to ask you though, we had this in the week that was, there are only two Americans in history on a record eligible course. No, one. It's only one. Sorry. Galen Rupps was not record eligible. World Athletics lists Galen Rupps time on their all time list though, Robert. So do we need to talk to someone about that? That he's on the list is like, that time counting. But anyway, the only person, I guess, officially then, who has run faster than that from the United States in a half marathon is Ryan Hall when he set the American record of 59.43 in Houston in 2007. Now, we've had other runners run close to that. We've also had Dathan Ritzenheim ran 60 flat back in 2009, way before Super Shoes. I'm fairly confident that performance is worth a lot faster than 59.51 if he had the Super Shoes. My question to you guys, 
is that any American currently running who, if you put him in that race on Sunday, would have been able to hang with Elliot Kipchoge through halfway. Well, easily. I mean, Grant Fisher could easily do, do that. No doubt in my mind. I mean, assuming he didn't take three weeks off after Worlds, but in his peak fitness this year, he's a, he's a 26-30 guy. He's only I agree 20, with you. I, he's only I 20 think... seconds off the world record, double that. He's probably at 45 seconds. He's probably a 58-30 guy. 58-30? I mean, uh, I don't know if I, I go that think, far. But... I mean, if he was in training for it, I think he'd break 59 minutes for sure. I mean, look. He, he's as good of a runner as, as Ryan Hall ever was, and he's got super shoes, which, which are worth a minute. But Ryan Hall was a long-distance animal. Grunk Fisher, we, he wasn't even... I mean, I guess he did get fourth of the Olympics last year, but he's always kind of been the 3K, 5K guy, and then he get, you know he's getting stronger. I don't think it's a given he could run 58-30. I do think he you know you throw Grunk Fisher in his... The shape he was in in March when he ran 26-33, you put that guy in Berlin... On Sunday, I'm very confident he could run 59-51. I think maybe Connor Mance. Mance ran 60-55 at the U.S. Hoff Championships last year in December. He's been really good on the track this year. He's fourth in the 5,000 at the U.S. Championships. I think if you had him, he's got the perfect paces. It was perfect weather and everything. If you put him in that race, I wouldn't be surprised if Connor Mance could hang with it. Galen Rupp, I'm not so sure about anymore just because of his health issues this year. Galen Rupp from a couple Galen Rupp from last year when he ran 206 in Chicago. I think probably could. Galen Rupp of 2022, I'm not certain. Beyond that, I don't know. Is there anyone else you think who could hang at 59-51? I don't think he could do it, but maybe like Shadra, keep church here. I mean, somebody like that's gonna come. There's a reason. These guys aren't breaking the record. I don't think they could do it. I think Grant Fisher could. But he has he ever run a half marathon? No, he's never run a half marathon, but like, could he last that long? I'm not convinced. Just because you're ready to go for 10K doesn't necessarily mean you're ready to bang it out for the half. But if I had to pick a guy, I'm picking Grant for sure. Yeah, I think he's the most likely to do it. But that just puts in context how ridiculous Elliot Kipchoge is because this is... The best runners in the United States, obviously, it's not Kenya or Ethiopia when it comes to the marathon, but this is a country that has produced medal, you know, medalists in re- the recent past. And the U.S.'s very best distance runners, we're having a debate whether they can even keep up with this guy through halfway. Okay, we'll turn to, to just Asefa and her amazing 215. This was nuts. But first, the Americans. Is the party over for us now? Or are we just going to put all regs in the Grand Fisher? Maybe Molly Seidel bucket. But Kira D'Amato, great story. I love the story. I said it was the greatest story ever. She came in Berlin as the number one seed. It was just absolutely destroyed in this race. Running, it was taken to another level. Eight women or something were on two sixteen pace at halfway. Like, and this was a weak field. I feel like it's just the sport is it's running away from most of the top Americans again. Our our times aren't getting that competitive. No, I don't think the party's over. I don't think this. What this shows is what we already knew. If you're going to go out there and you first of all two fifteen, I mean that's the third fastest time in history. So. Pretty much no one's going to be able to hang with that. 
But this is not how Americans succeed in major marathons. They don't go out where the winning time is going to be 217 or 218 and contend. Americans are not close to that on the women's side. And certainly on the men's side, nowhere close to 201, 202, 203. What they need is some sort of leveling of the playing field. You need it to be hot. You need it to be hilly or unrabbited. Or you need it to be shitty weather, like Sarah Hall, 2020 London. Why did she get second? She ran a great race. And when a lot of the other elite Africans in the field blew up or didn't run it smart, Sarah Hall ran a really smart, gutsy race. Those are the sort of breaks you need to catch. And I think America has enough good athletes who you can maybe get in a podium, as we saw with Des Linden, Shalane Flanagan, maybe win if you have your best, you know, a really good day. And there are some other things that level the playing field. But no, these pure time trial type races, that's never been the United States' forte. And this was just more proof of that. Ben Rosario. I was about to say the coach of the Hoka NAZ Elite. No, the director of the Hoka NAZ Elite had an interesting quote Washington Post before Berlin. He said, quote, Now you have multiple U.S. women that can compete in Berlin or New York or London or Chicago or the Olympic Games and be real factors to win, real factors to be in the podium. This is unprecedented. I, I got issues with that quote because I don't think you have multiple. To win? I don't now. I think it's gone. Podium. Okay, Demato obviously had a chance. Seidel, Sarah Hall got second in London. We say the time trial is not the forte. That was amazing. Am I missing Emily one? Sisson. Emma Bates did well. Who? Emily Sisson. Yeah. Bates was second in Chicago last year. Grind. That was an atrocious field, but that's yeah. sometimes what happens in Chicago. These still are world marathon majors, and they still are getting second place. Right? Her, Sarah Hall. So maybe I shouldn't say it, but I think. Berlin, to me, is showing the sport on the women's side, the marathoning women's side is getting much, much deeper. But the, also the other thing is that the Olympics and Worlds, what do you, what do the rules say? Three athletes per country. Yeah, which I think is a good thing because you need a little more variability in the sport. Look, the reserve court is ridiculous. They can get in the podium, but there's six Plus, throw in Amsterdam, Rotterdam, Valencia, Dubai, etc. So you can be the 20th best marathoner in the world, hell, the 50th best marathoner in the world, and get on the podium if you know you, you split up a bunch of people, put five or six per race, or in the case of Chicago, one or two. If one of the top eight athletes is sick, gets COVID, has their period, just doesn't train well, yeah, you might you might get on the podium. But to me. It is what it's always been. I mean, Americans are not as good at the marathon as they are at the track. The longer the race, the more disadvantaged we are. Y'all going to get mad about me saying genetics and blah, blah, blah. And yes, I'm mainly talking about Caucasians here. They're bigger. The longer you go, the worse off they are. So in one of these discussions here, um, now hats off to Molly Seidel because she did medal. And that Olympic damn field was loaded. But there's a difference between third and win. But yeah, you can win. And Des Linden, that's the last the last American to win a major, right? Yep. Or on the women's side? You know, come on. Did she really win it? Yes, she did. But Mother Nature won. And then all the elites basically dropped out. And she was the first one across the finish line. I mean, I don't know how to phrase that. But 
there's something uh, John's got something on the disc, you know, on our show discussion threads, like most, most national records have fallen since the invention of super shoes. The men's American record of two Oh five 48 from Cleet Canucci has not. Why? Two Oh five 38. Just to, the answer to me is simple. The East Africans are several minutes better than the non-East Africans. And so most of the records have fallen because you had super shoes. But, um, well, I, I, I guess, excuse me, Khalid Kanuchi is not East African, but you know what I'm talking about. The African-born runners are several minutes better. How about the East Africans or the Moroccans on drugs are, better, are, 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 are several minutes better what? than... What? Could be people who grew up at altitude. Did you just accuse Khalid Kanuchi of doping? Absolutely not. That was uh, taken the wrong way, John. No, look, saying. here's the thing. Kelly Canucci was the world record holder at the time, and he was the very best marathoner in the world. And America doesn't have any men who are really close to that at the moment. So, yeah, if you're going to have someone trying to break a record from 20 years ago of who someone, you know, he's a bit of an outlier, right? He was an outlier back then. He's still an outlier. That's the same thing. We pointed this out. The British record in the marathon on the women's side, no one's even approached it because it was Paula Radcliffe. 215 she was an enormous outlier compared to where the, every other brit and she still is so those are two of the ones that have stood out whereas every other country you know the, i don't think there were as many outlier crazy performances it was just okay this was the best person in kenya and ethiopia at the time now the very best one in kenya and ethiopia plus the shoes are going to be faster Little known fact here, guys. Kanuchi had the world record. He set it for Morocco before he became an American. So the Africans are way better than us now. They were way better than us than then. The only difference was he got to switch his citizenship and get the American record. We talked about this immediately after the race, and John's now put out a poll on Twitter. How long until another human, not Kipchoge, runs faster than 20109? And we were saying, you know, this thing may last 20 years. With, but people on the chat were like saying, "Hey, what about Jacob Caplimo, the world half marathon record holder? He's run fifty-seven thirty-one." And the poll results are in, getting the most votes. Thirty-six percent say it'll be broken in the next ten years, five to ten years. Then second place say the next five years. So let's run nation. You guys are optimists and gals. You know that's sixty, nearly sixty-eight percent, over two-thirds of you. I think this will be broken in the next two years, 10 years. So shoe technology, what these guys are doing in the half, you're optimistic. 21% think 10 to 20 years and 10% think it'll last over 20 years. If I had to pick, I'd say probably 10 to 20 because you, you think of it like marathon world records. Okay, the Komedo one, when Wilson Kipsang sets it, when Patrick McHale said it, all those guys, they weren't the goat of the marathon. They were just, they were the best marathoner in the world at that point. They had a target to shoot for. They went for a fast course. They lowered the mark. Kipchoge, he's the goat. He's the greatest we've ever seen. So I think his world record stands longer than theirs do because you're not going to, you're not just going to need good conditions, which we had in Berlin and everything, fast course and a guy in top shape, but he needs to be maybe the most talented marathoner of all time to have a shot at this world record unless we get these big advances in shoe technology. That's why Bolt's world records still endure 
You don't think sprint shoes are a little better than they were in 2008 or 2009? I'm sure they are. But Usain Bolt was the GOAT of the 100. He's the GOAT of the 200. That's why his records are still around. Because you need to, to break that, you're going to need like a Bolt level talent or someone very close to it with slightly better shoes. So I think it's going to take a while until we see another Kipchoge level talent in the marathon. That's why I think it's going to be 10, 20 years till this thing's broken. But John, sprint shoes have improved, but also there was a difference. The World Athletics put in some rules to prohibit the huge changes in sprint shoes. Because a shoe was coming out that was going to, I think, obliterate some these records. And there they said no. So we don't have people running in the fastest shoes possible in the sprints. I think I think that's widely accepted. Whereas the marathoning, nobody questions it. Now you got to go drop, what, 250 for a pair of racing shoes? Right, right, right. I agree. But the thing is, I don't, well, I can't predict the future, but I find it unlikely that we're going to have a shoe in... 15 years from now, that's going to be way, way better than the one we have here. You, World Athletics has tried to put some restrictions in place. So if that happens, obviously it's going to be easy to break the world record. But I'm sort of saying, barring that, you're going to need to have a Kipchoge-level talent or close to it to break this record. I think so, but then we come back to, and we had this whole age discussion, and over the hill in my book, the KOA ran to a 141. And I... Don't, I still can't believe this is Pete Kipchoge. So if we get a Kip Limo and he's made for the marathon, peak could it go sooner than we think. And Kayla's a Kipchoge level talent. I'll just say that. Kip Limo might be. Uh, look, y'all are disparaging Bekele. Well, it calls him over the hill. He's the greatest distance runner, the greatest talent the sport has ever seen. So he got it together for a few months and showed you what you could run right there. How long do I think it will last? Uh, I, I said I can't rule out any scenario. You know, I could be dead when it's when it's broken. I could also see Caplimo getting it. I think it's probably going to last a while, as John said. Like, <laughs> this is the greatest marathoner ever. He also was damn good at the track. He ran twelve forty six in the five thousand pre super shoes. He won that race. I don't think that was even a world record attempt. If you give him the the, the super spikes and pacers and whatnot he's probably you know in the 1230s for sure pretty close to chapter guy so chapter guys run faster he's run faster than bikile but i don't think chapter guy's better on the track than bikile i just think he's got better technology better pacing etc so we don't know though when chapter guy moves up if he's going to be relatively as good in the marathon as kipchoge is it's probably unlikely but kaplimo 57 31 you know, Caplimo's run 1248 with super shoes. That's not as good as Chiptagai. I mean, as Kipchoge, but I'm not ruling it out, but I, I don't think it's it's likely. Now, look, the big debate to me is do we think he needs it for his legacy to run London and Boston? There's a thread on here saying, I mean, to run New York and Boston. There's a thread on Let's Run saying, no one cares if Kipchoge doesn't run Boston or New York. And I disagree. Certainly I care, you know. And I get it. It moves the needle for Kipchoge to, to break two. And I got excited that he went out and sub one hour in this race. That did move the needle for me. But the average public, he's already broken two. It doesn't matter if he breaks two again. They're not going to care. Only the nerds like me are going to care that he did in a real race. And also, so if you're trying to press the nerds like me, I'd be more impressed if he proves that he can win a hilly marathon. Because then there's 
Zero holes in that resume. Zero holes. Right now, we know he's the best at flat marathons, whether Rabbit did or not. We don't know about the hills. He was a good cross-country runner, former world junior champion. I'm assuming he will be good at hills, but I'd like him to see improve it. I think he needs to run Boston. I think he runs needs to run New York. I mean, I don't think he needs to run these races. His marath- his legacy is already secure as the greatest marathoner of all time by a lot. John, so Pete Sampras didn't need to win the French Open? Yes, but this this would be like going throughout the middle of your career and you don't have the option to compete in the French Open. You only run two marathons a year and Kipchoge focused on the flat ones. I think a lot of people, myself included, would say if you put Elliot Kipchoge from pretty much any year from 2015 through 2022 into Boston or New York, he would win those races handily. And if he ends up declining next year and loses Boston and New York, say he runs one of them, I could still say, oh, you know, he he was the he wasn't at his peak. That's why he lost these races, not because he can't handle those courses. That said, could he bump up his resume from an A plus plus to an A plus 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 by running one of these races? Yes, it would improve his legacy marginally, but his legacy is already secure as the greatest by a mile. So, I don't know if he needs to run these for his legacy. You take it for granted he'd win. I'm not so sure, but I'll throw this out there first. Which one do you think is harder to win in terms of the course, Boston or New York for Kipchoge? I think Boston is tough. It's it's like they're both hilly, but Boston, the hills are in such a way, and then you have the fast downhill. It's a unique marathon course, so I would say Boston most likely. Yeah, I agree, and I saw Robert nod as well. I think the que- there's a bigger question mark or Boston. The downhill's at the bottom. God, I guess I'll have to run Boston once I can say I know what, what I'm talking about. But but like, look at what happened to Cam Wara this year. We all feel, oh, Jeffrey Cam Wara, great cross-country runner. He's won New York twice. He was supposed to be in pretty good shape coming into Boston this year. He just could not handle the change of pace at 21 miles, 22 miles at all, and got smoked at the end of that race. So... I think that kind of shows the challenge of Boston versus New York. Not that New York's easy, but I do think Boston is a little more challenging. Plus the weather is a lot more unpredictable in Boston than in New York. You're going to get fall weather in New York. It's never going to be hot. Boston, it could be snowing or it could be 90 degrees. Now, I, I will pose you guys this question. I think we kind of all agree winning Boston or New York would do more for his legacy than if he was the first guy to run sub 201 in the marathon. But what about if he's the first, what does more for his legacy, winning Boston or New York or being the first to run sub two hours on a record eligible course? I'll say sub two for that one, but that ain't happening. Remember, I, I said I bet my social security check, I won't see sub two in my lifetime. Now that was pre super shoes, but it ain't happening for a long damn time, if ever. Interesting question, John. I thought for sure, I'd say for sure sub two. But I wonder public at large if they already considered him to have done it. And speaking of sub two, Kipchoge was spotted with the 15940 shirts in Berlin. Putting up here on our internal screen. We release some of these clips as a podcast. You may see this. Kipchoge with 
Caleb Nuff. He's an ultra marathon runner. Neff. Ness? Neff. Neff. Yeah. Who, Kira D'Amato's pacer. Well, we have a a black 15940 shirt and a red 15940 shirt. Go to shop.letsrun.com to get yours today. And guys, can we turn to the women's race? Wait, did, did he pace the race wearing that shirt? If he did, I'll give him a refund on his purchase price. If you're going to pace an elite pro, you get a free Kip, Ko, Kip Choge 15940 t-shirt. From now on, official rule. Also, if you win a road race, I think it was with more than 20 or 30 people, you get a free shirt. That has to be the Let's Run shirt, though. Wait, back in the day, well, now that they have separate women's starts for a lot of these races, they didn't in Berlin. Like, half of what I would do would be staring at the dudes trying to beat the first woman, and they'd all fall off eventually. But they try to get some TV time and plug stuff. Is it wrong if Let's Run, we just start sponsoring people? I guess it would only could be in Berlin, right? Who Who still has to... Women start with the men. Chicago does too. Who does? Chicago? Chicago does. Is it wrong, John, if I say I'll give some dude 200 bucks to run with the women's leader as long as they can? I stay off screen. Do it. Do I it think up. frowned upon. It's kind of a lame move. But 2014, I don't know if you guys remember this. I think it was 2014 or 2015. Employee 1.1, Steve Soprano, was running the Chicago Marathon and he was right with Amy Craig for a good portion of the race. He was on TV a bunch and that wasn't because he was trying to get the let's run singlet exposure. I don't even know if he ran in the let's run singlet. It was just, they had similar goals. I think a little bit under two thirty or you know, mid two twenties or something like that. I forgot about that. John forgot about it. All right. Women's race in Berlin. What do you want to say about this? Well, then obviously I think I still need to I need to talk to Johnny Demadonna, who is Tigas Asefa's agent, and figure out what the hell her deal is. Like how did she go from being an eight hundred meter runner to two fifteen thirty seven in the marathon? It still makes no sense. I haven't seen any sort of deep dive on it because that's my biggest question is how did this happen? Absolutely, John. It's really important when you're in London that you get to talk with Asefa's agent and figure out what she was doing the last two years. I mean, I assume she was giving birth when she wasn't giving races, doing any races all the last two years. But I guess she could have been hurt. Anyways, her first race back this year is March. She runs 234.01 in the marathon. Seventh place in Riyadh. Like, how in the hell do you go from that to 215? But I got an interesting text from... Not sure if my friends want their name on the radio here. I'll just do first name. My friend Max. Max Siegel? John, again, I'm only going to give the first name. Sefer, it's very interesting. Sefer ran slow in Riyadh because she wasn't allowed to wear shorts. Women weren't allowed to wear show their legs or shoulders in that race. And it was a high of 79 that day. So that may have had something to do with it, but that wouldn't really explain it because first place was 226.38. So she was seven minutes back. So I mean, like, you know, she hasn't run in two years. She probably just get in shape. Thought it was maybe an easy paycheck, <laughs> but crazy. I mean, what? What? This actually might be a good sign. We've been I've been bashing American runners' chances in the marathon all these all show. John, we had a very disappointing worlds, particularly for the men. 
in the 800 this year with nobody getting out of the first round. Which American man do you think really is a marathoner? Is, is it? Uh... Well, out of the four that ran at Worlds, I think you got to go with Joe Nikoach. He actually was a pretty good cross-country runner at UTEP, right? Whereas Bryce Hopple ran a little cross. Donovan Brazier and Brandon Miller, no way. So, yeah, Joe Nikoach, 202 marathoner. Heard it here first. And then for the women, like we have uh, Othing Mo, Ajay Wilson, Raven Rogers. Well, they're, that's good because and you pick the you pick the one black guy on the men's side. We've got three black women, and if you look at the all time one hundred list, it's dominated by black people, not white people. So, oh, those three, I would say, generally avoid the one that has a good four hundred meter PB, but. The Sefa only had 400, 800 meter PBs on the track. She didn't even have a 1500 meter PB. So maybe we should go with our thing, Mo. Like that 49 speed would, you know, she could, she had 510 pace would feel slow for her for at least 800. Oh, I'd still roll with RJ. She's at least run a few 1500s. I know you, you freak out and say, oh, when someone runs a PR in the 1500, even if it's not that impressive, it's great things for that 800. But it's a lot more indicative, I think, of what they could do if you ever switched into the marathon. So I'll go with RJ. Any other final thoughts on Berlin, gentlemen? We spent about an hour breaking it down on no sleep Sunday morning. Spent close to an hour today. I think we've mostly exhausted our takes for now, but if you have any last ones, here's a chance to get them off. Well, I'd like to just give a shout-out to Dina Castor. I why didn't bring this up earlier. I've been bashing American marathoners. She's done something that Ellie Kipchoge has not done. She has finished all six world marathon majors. I think she ran like 245. Congrats to her. And also another American marathoner. Didn't run a marathon last week, but it was good to see. I found Molly Huddle in the results of the Lone Gold 10K. John, you should have been there. Gloucester, Massachusetts. I'm not sure how far away that is from you. It's North Shore. It's not that far away. It's maybe 45 minutes or something, an hour. She finished third in this 10K in 33.59. She makes her way back from pregnancy. I think one of the women that beat her might be a Supporters Club member, so shout out to her. I don't want to mention names. I don't want to like, dox people who've joined the Supporters Club. Before we get to NCAA Cross Country, can I just do a few other road race things, John? Of course. I was reading race results weekly this week. David Monty got all the road race results, prize money across the world. Reported that the Bechovia Praha 10 kilometer race was held on Sunday, served as the Czech National Championships. And he writes, Remarkably, this race was never canceled due to the pandemic and has been held for 126 consecutive years. And this just reminds me that the modern world, we're getting pretty soft. Like, what is remarkable about the fact that this race was held during the pandemic? Like, considering all the shit that Czechoslovakia has put up with over the last 126 years, World War One, World War II communist domination for years like they didn't cancel it during any of that stuff 
thank God they didn't cancel it because of the pandemic. So just but just when I thought things were getting soft, I, I kept scrolling down race results weekly. And it was a cool race. This is amazing to me. It actually was a World Athletics Cross Country Tour event as well. The TCS Linden Gullup Cross Country Race was held in Sweden over the weekend. 30-kilometer cross country race. I've never heard of anything like this. Like, how big is the park? Or you just do like a million loops. This is so cool. But 8,355 people ran the 30K. Only 2,800 people bothered with the 15K. So you have a 30K. You think people, oh, they're going to run all around the 5K. No, no. They all go to the 30K in Sweden. Cross country. So the world is not totally soft because this road race was not canceled and this 30K Sweden thing happened. So thank you, Europe. Thank you for staying strong. That is interesting. 30K cross. Oh, man, I'm impressed that many people signed up for it. It's, it's pretty cool to hear. Um, in America, cross country is not quite as long. We had some races over the weekend, though. We already talked to Coast to Coast Battle in Beantown. Dartmouth men defeating Yale. Virginia won that race, by the way. Dominant pack running. I think they had seven guys under 24 minutes on Franklin Park. So that's actually pretty solid. John, the big news. Inter- former Let's Run intern Carl Winter finishing ahead of Gary Martin. I, I was going to get to that. Well done. I was stalling for time trying to look up the results. But yes, Carl Winter of Syracuse. He finished 16th overall, 24-26. Gary Martin, the famed bespectacled sub-four high school miler of Virginia. He is 17th in 24-30. Now, Carl, to his credit, I talked to him after the race. He admitted Gary took a fall. Former podcast guest, Gary Martin, by the way. We had him on earlier this spring. You should check that out if you haven't listened to it already. Gary did fall earlier in the race, so... He felt like if that didn't happen, maybe he doesn't get separated from the UVA pack. Things go a little differently, but yeah, congrats to Carl working his way back from injury. Maybe he'll be in Syracuse's top seven by the end of the season. We might see him in still war differentiable cross to be determined. Shout out to my boy, Brian Bell, Syracuse head coach. I mean, this is the B team. Syracuse is so loaded this year. Gary- Carl is a thirteen forty five guys running on the B team right now. Wait a second, guys. I, don't know how I'd missed this. I figured out the secret to Kipchoge's success. The nation right here says, Ella Kipchoge's wife fasted for seven days ahead of a race, and she prayed for a miracle. How many other people in the world's wives are fasting for seven days before their marathons? Carry on. And I love that article because then it says at the end that the kids were super pumped that their dad did it. And now they were going to study extra hard. I just love <laughs> Kids are going to be motivated to get those A's now. But look, the big cross country action in the NCAAs was in Stillwater. The site of NCAA where the NCAA championships would be held. And the big news was several teams beat NAU who has Won what? Five of six NCAA titles, John? Yeah, that's right. So I was pleased to see that. I'd like to see some competition for the team race there. The man that John has, John has now predicted, just up on the website yesterday, 
two former teen American phenoms to win the NCAA titles. He's predicted Nico Young to win, but Nico did not win this race. He was, what, only fifth or sixth? But the even bigger story to me was on the women's side here. Oh, John also picked Caitlin Tui to win the women's title, but it's another former teen phenom, Natalie Cook of Oklahoma State. Her first Current race teen was, phenom. She's still only 19 years old, Robert. She wins this race on the girls' side. It's crazy how little she runs that she's this good. And I know Dave Smith doesn't want to put, put you know pressure on her, but I thought this was cool. She beats Taylor Rowe, who's a really good runner, her teammate. And then Taylor Rowe picked her up and posed for a picture. So it seems like they, you know, you're wondering if the senior's going to be upset that the freshman's taking or stealing her thunder a little bit. It doesn't look like it. it looks like they're having fun. So pretty good stuff. And John, I, I just one one thing I want to take credit for is you wrote your NCAA individual preview yesterday and some final thoughts. And originally you wrote at the end of this, you talked about some coaches don't like the course because it's too challenging, even though it's like perfectly manicured grass. It's like hilly, right? But it's not like muddy. It doesn't appear to be muddy anywhere. You said originally you'd written, it's nice to have a challenging NCAXC course every few years. And I changed that. I thought that made you look very, very beta. I said, it's nice to have an NCAA challenge to have a challenging NCAC course. Period. It's supposed to be cross country, not a track meet on grass. Robert, I live in reality. You think the NCAA coaches are going to agree to have it at a challenging course every year? Do you think there are even enough NCAA cross country courses that are hard enough that meet your criteria of being tough to have it at one of those places every year? No. I mean, back heck. Back when you were a coach in the Ivy League, Robert, we used to have HEPs cross-country at Van Cortland every year. And then I was told, by my coach at least, there are some who don't like having it at the hard Van Cortland Park course every year. It has to alternate between the very flat and easy Princeton course and VCP. So uh, can you explain yourself? Were you part of this? This is how it it goes. And you can't have it at a super hard course every year. People are going to get upset about it. You can and you should. It should be hilly. It's supposed to be cross country. The concept of it is like we're at this point, we're racing to that point. I'll see you there. Like it, it, it should be. I was a, absolutely, totally opposed to them moving any of the Ivy League championships out of Van Cortlandt Park. That was one thing that the runners from 50 years ago compared to now. Their times on that course, it didn't change. The conditions didn't matter that much, and now all that's gone. So, look. What do we always say? The X games and stuff. Young people like like that stuff and these mud runs, and it, it makes it more exciting to have some. There's not turnovers, there's not interceptions in our sport, but having some mud slides or hay bales or hills, something. I mean, every time we go, it seems like at least every other time we go to the World Cross, I get there and I thought, there's no way the NCAA meet me run this course. The runners, they could be afraid the runners would twist an ankle. I mean, Poland, it was like an ice bath with mud everywhere, but the best runners in the world can do it, but these pampered Americans can't. Right. And one thing I would say, though, Robert, like the Wisconsin course, you didn't make your flight for NCAA Cross when we held it there in 2018, but I don't know, have you ever been there or 
Do you think that's hard enough? It's generally, it's got a few ups and downs. I wouldn't call it a super hard course, but I thought Wisconsin, like, NCAA should be in Madison. It's a great course. It's a great college town. I don't want to say, oh, we can't have it there. The course is too easy. Like, I like having it there. And we've seen some of these courses, okay, they're not always the easiest. Sorry, they're not always the hardest courses, but you can still get some pretty challenging conditions. Madison, do you remember what the conditions were like there? It snowed the night before. There was snow all over the course. It was awesome. The photos were amazing. And the course got a little tougher, even though the times were still pretty quick. Terre Haute, we've seen some terrible weather days. 2019, okay, is that the hardest possible course? No, but it was soggy. It was muddy. It was wet. Again, that was real cross country. So I think the thing is, sometimes if you have it at these Midwestern courses, even if they're not super, super hilly, the weather comes into play at the end of November and can still make it feel like real cross country. So I like having it some of those places. I think Wisconsin definitely needs to continue to host. So that's why I was sort of saying it doesn't have to be at a super hard co- course every year. I, one thing I have heard, I think the Kansas course at Rimrock Farm is supposed to be pretty tough. They've never, they haven't hosted NCAA cross since 98. They're running with the Buffaloes here when Adam Goucher ran it. Is it no longer suitable to host a cross-country meet? I'd, I'd love to go out there if they still have that because that apparently had some hills as well. But our European visitors who, who are used to real cross-country have no idea what we're talking about. This super tough course that John's talking about, maybe we should link to a photo of it on the, in the show notes. It looks like a golf course. It's a little bit hilly, but it has 1,200 radio-controlled irrigation heads, one for every 35 feet which keeps the course in pristine conditions. You're like running on a fairway. It's just a little bit hilly. In your article, Dil G. Taylor, the BYU coach, is the one who complained about it. Did anyone else complain about it? It's just because these women's coaches like to be able to have 800, 1500 types run well in cross country when that's not really what they're supposed to be doing anyways. I guess Jonah Kowicz did it, but like it's supposed to be a legitimate endurance test, not just you know see if some 800 runner can, can fake it for 6K. I don't know. I mean, Dil G. Taylor seemed to figure it out. They won NCAA Cross on that course when they held it two years ago. So she just, I think she just prefers different courses, but she's, fig- she's a good enough coach. She can make it work wherever. All right, John, but enough of this course talk. Tell me what, why you think, I mean, the case for Caitlin Tui winning is easy. She won the 5K in track. She was a great high school cross country runner. She sort of passed Mercy Chow and got in the spring. Like, okay, I can see her winning. But tell me why you think Nico Young is going to win the individual title when he didn't even win this meet this weekend. Okay, well, I made this prediction before the weekend and we didn't end up publishing it until Monday. But I think I would still pick, I think I'd still go with Nico. And the reason, my reasoning going in was essentially exactly the same as with Tui, right? He was an amazing high school cross-country runner. They're the same class. They won NXN the same year. He was a total phenom. Ran 7.56, which is still the high school record for 3,000 on the track. Then last year, okay, he didn't win the 5K, but he was third, which means he's the top returner from that race. He was a true sophomore, The two, so his second year in college. The two guys who beat him were a seventh-year senior at Wisconsin and a sixth-year senior at Michigan State. So... Was it Colin Hunter? Was he really a seventh-year senior? I think he was, yeah. So 
he ran 13-11 on the track, again, as a 19-year-old earlier this year. He's just a huge talent. The last time NCAA Cross was on this course in 2020, he was fourth overall as a true freshman. So I think this kind of course really suits him. I think he's a, ma- a mass- massive talent. That's sort of my rationale for him. Now, he got beat by Alex Mayer from Oklahoma State over the weekend, who was the runner-up in the NCAA 10K. Dylan Jacobs, who has transferred from Notre Dame to Tennessee, he's back. He's the NCAA 10K champion. He didn't run this race, but he's going to be a contender. Charles Hicks from Stanford's run really well. But, yeah, when it comes down to it, Nico Young, Young is basically a male version of Caitlin Tui. That's why I picked him. John, the Electron posters beg to differ. Post today. It's by an anonymous poster. Otherwise, it might give you something, but I can't. It says received 30 upvotes, no downvotes. And only in Let's Run people to get stuff like this. The second most upvoted, it got one downvote, is a post analyzing the Ukraine Russia war and why Russia is not overwhelming Ukraine. Apparently, it must be really good. It's very detailed. It got 29 upvotes, one downvote. But this race back to running. Nico has not shown he has enough of a kick to win close races. If he wins, it will need to be the way Mance did it, but taking control of the race and pulling away earlier. At this point, I don't think Nico is strong enough to do that versus the field. Tui has a much better chance of winning, in my opinion. I'm sorry, I don't buy that. Who in the NCAA is he talking about has much a much better kick than Nico Young? Because Nico Young closed in 55-28 in the 5,000 outdoors in a race where he ran 13-28. That's pretty good. Also, this is cross-country. Kicks are not as important as they are on the track. His kick is fine. It's good enough to win NCAA cross, that's for sure. Wait, Nico ran 55-28 for what? For his last lap of the 5K outdoors. He didn't win, but it was the second fastest final lap in the field. It was faster than Kai Robinson of Stanford, who is one of the top contenders. He closed in 56-44. That's over a second slower than Nico. I think this is a hard cross-country race. The kick's not going to matter that much anyway. I do think he's good enough to break people with a little bit to go. Now, he did get out-kicked. This this race on Saturday did kind of come down to a kick. And Alex Mayer, who kicked very well in the 10K outdoors, he won the race. So if it's that kind of race, that doesn't favor Nico, obviously. But I also think this is still kind of strength-building season. And Nico, I think Michael Mike Smith, the NAU coach, has shown he's able to get his guys ready to go in the Nationals every year. That's more the bigger worry if I'm backing Nico Young in this thing is, is Smith just going to tell him, run a team race, just finish in the top five, don't worry about the win? Because if that's their strategy, then I could maybe see him holding back a little bit more, but I'm not that worried about that either. If he tells him that, that's weak sauce. Go for the win. Anyways, look, you and the, and the poster are making both good points. There's this perception that Nico doesn't have a good kick because I just looked it up, John. Are you concerned by this? He's won three of 33 college races. That's 9%. He's running in a new COVID era where well, he's against fifth and sixth year seniors. And he's 19, 18 or 19 years old. I'm not that worried about it. If I go to Caitlin Tui's TFR page, she's won her last three races, but one of them's a prelim. 
I mean, she's won like five of her last seven races. So I'm just saying, but there's because of that, because he's not winning, there's a perception that he doesn't have good speed. The reality is he's a 356 flat miler. So, but he may not be able to slam it home, you know, the big gear, the last 200. No, I mean, what happens? Look, Nico, he's on the same team as Abdahamid Noor, who was the best runner in the NCAA last year. So, are we expect like, am I expecting him to beat Abdahamid, who is a couple of years older than him and made the US team and, the, and made the world championship final in the 5,000? No, this is kind of what happens. If you're on a tough team and some of these cross country races, it doesn't really matter who NAU's first man is. They're just trying to go for the win. He'll start winning races because as he gets older and some of these guys who are older than him age out of the NCAAs or graduate, he'll start winning if he sticks around. So no, that doesn't worry me too much. You make a great point there too, because if you look up Caitlin Tui's, if you're from Europe or something, you can just type in any American's number, any collegian's name, then TFRS into Google and you'll see all the college results. But while she's won, these are her last few races. First, 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 second, second, first, first, second, second, first. But if you go farther back at the beginning of her college career, second, ninth, ninth, seventh, 24th, fourth, third, ninth, ninth, third, fourth, seventh, 33rd, eight, 18th, and then first. She didn't win a college race at all until September 17th of last year. She was 0 for 15, and now she hardly ever loses. So the whole idea that someone's a winner, they have a certain kick, I think that sometimes it's, it is not really true. It's like, okay, who are they racing against? How fit are they? And if that shifts and you're fitter than everybody else, you generally win all the races. Yeah, and here's the other thing with Caitlin Tui. I mean, people aren't criticizing my pick of her. Guess what? She's finished in her two NCAA cross-country appearances. 24th and 15th last year. Nico Young has been 4th and 14th. Or actually, 14th last year? He might have even been higher than that. No, he's 11th. So he's been 4th and 11th. His worst finish at NCAA cross is better than Caitlin Tui's best finish at NCAA cross. So we know Caitlin Tui can run cross-country. She did it in high school. But I just think all those people who are saying, oh, how can you pick Nico? He doesn't have a kick. And then it's fine to pick Tui. Well, Nico also has a very strong track record of cross-country success at the NCAA and high school level. That said, the weekend results I did think were interesting because one, there were five guys, I think, at this Cowboy Jamboree who all ran pretty well. I mean, if you're saying Nico Young, if I still think he's the favorite of the guy to beat, I, I don't think that's totally unfair. I think he's still a very strong candidate. But Alex Mayo won the race. By three seconds over Charles Hicks of Stanford, I think sticks. I think Hicks could totally win. Victor Shitsama of Oklahoma State is third. Cole Sprout of Stanford is fourth. Not sure if Shitsama or Sprout could win, but I think Alex Mayer, Charles Hicks, and Nico Young, I think, are all individual contenders. Dylan Jacobs, individual contender, he didn't run here. I think there are a bunch of like maybe this will change midway through the season, but right now there's probably five or six guys I could see winning NCAA cross. It's not always that way. And then on the women's side, and then the team race on the men's side, I also think is interesting because BYU wins it with 75. Then you've got Stanford 101, NAU 110, Oklahoma State 118. But BYU ran pretty much everyone. Stanford didn't run Kai Robinson. 
Northern Arizona didn't run Brody Hasty or Theo Quacks or Colin Solomon, though Solomon may not run at all this year. And then Oklahoma State didn't run Isaiah Rodriguez or Shea Foster. So those two were both All-Americans last year. So I kind of was thinking in my head, doing all the math. If you add all of those guys in who didn't run, I think it's probably Stanford winning because Kai Robinson would take their fifth man who was scored 58 and take that down to about, it'd take about 50 points off their score. That'd be well ahead of BYU. I think NAU, they didn't run their four and five. So I don't think there was improving by quite as much as Stanford. Oklahoma State, I think, would improve a lot because Rodriguez and Foster were both top 30 at NCAA cross last year. So I think it's probably Stanford, Oklahoma State, and then BYU and NAU if you like reorder it. But I think all those teams are fairly close. And that excites me that you know it might not just be, be NAU cakewalking to the title. There are four teams who could legitimately win. First of all, I can't believe that you're buying this stuff that Colin Solomon's not running. If you put him in the results and put him up near the top, um, they might have been right there for the win. One thing that worries me about Oklahoma State is when you've got the two of their better runners, Shea Foster and Isaiah Rodriguez. Rodriguez is top 10 twice at NCAAs. Foster was 27th last year. They've both been out, and the coach Dave Smith said that he may hold one of them out permanently for the season for disciplinary reasons. So that would be hard to overcome. But I, I got to give a shout out to Oklahoma State because you think a coach is going to do that? That To me, if you're giving a shout out for that, that'd be rare. And I feel like college coach costing, you know, hurting their chances for a national championship, a disciplinary kid. On that home course. But go ahead, Robert. Where are you going? I was just saying this summer that Oklahoma State, uh, they have they've got a superstar wrestler named AJ Ferrara, NCAA national champion. This guy's already signed an NIL deal with the WWE. He's like a college superstar. Wrestling is huge at Oklahoma State, and he was dismissed from the team after allegations of sexual assault. So Oklahoma State doesn't mess around. At some level, it's like you got to draw the line. But it's interesting to me. Like, shouldn't this be decided? Like. Shouldn't there be like a process? Like you have to decide. You can't just wait to see how the team's doing, whether you're going to suspend them. Like I kind of feel like the decision needs to be made now. Proper call would be to do it now. And then I guess you could see if they're making certain. Who's to say, who's to say Dave hasn't already made the decision. I mean, we don't know exactly what we don't know what sort of discipline is going on. We don't know what someone did or did not do, but I did, he didn't. When I talked to him, it didn't sound like he was going to make the decision based on whether he thought they were going to win or not. He was going to have to weigh it on whether the whatever happened merited a suspension or being kicked off the team. But we don't know many details about this thing. He was pretty vague when he discussed it. Yeah. I mean, a sexual assault is one thing, but there's a lot of other things college kids can do to get in trouble. And maybe Dave's going to say, hey, is this kid going to live the life, the, live up to the expectations I expect on Oklahoma State cross-country members if he is he'll compete if not they're gone so oh yeah or maybe at Cornell sometimes kids would do stuff and they'd sort of be on super tight probation and if they lived up to it then they got to do stuff but double secret probation I wonder if Google I'm trying to figure out how I knew this Oklahoma State wrestling story but maybe because Google is all knowing because AJ Farrar was actually in the car accident with when Isaiah Rodriguez was in the car accident they both were injured in that accident. All right. Should we talk about the more uplifting news from from college cross country? I mean, the secretive Jerry Schumacher 
This is big for me. People are like, oh, he's not a good fit for Oregon. He doesn't like to talk to the press. Martin Smith was successful there, but he didn't he didn't hobnob with the locals. He college coaching is more than just getting results. You have to build Chalktown USA. You have to grow sport. Well, on Friday, the Jerry Schumacher era began in Oregon as both the men and women won the Bill Dellinger invite. But what's more, more interesting than that was saw all these news stories, the local TV channels, local newspapers saying Hayward Field is the place to be on Friday night. It's a new era of track and field. Begins with a free party. The old track program is under new leadership with Jerry Schumacher, named the new head coach. And what did Jerry do? Well, he had the community the community out. Kids could run a lap on the track. Assume there were speeds. The team members were there. Ice cream was served. Sounds like for free. Bring a blanket. They played a movie up on the Jumbotron. Played uh, McFarland USA, the movie about the uh, high school cross country team. So I just thought this was a cool gesture. Like, I've seen some photos. It doesn't look like there was thousands of people, maybe a hundred or so, but you got to start somewhere. And just the fact that you're making it out like, hey, hey, we're locals. We like you because I've been there and I've talked to the locals and they used to show up, you know, several thousand of them for home meets and they're not necessarily doing that as much as they used to. And yeah, society's changed. There's more entertainment options, streaming, et cetera, that you're competing against. You know, back in the day, 50 years ago at Hayward Field, like if you live in Eugene, you either go to the track meet or you do nothing. But, you know, our Airbnb host was like, they take us for granted they don't offer season tickets anymore. They're hard to get, et cetera. So good gesture, Jerry. Good start on the PR front. So I see this photo here. Pretty sure that's Bill Del- Dellinger, Jerry Schumacher, Shalane Flanagan. I think I owe Bill Dellinger an apology. Never really discussed him on here, but I viewed him as like Bowerman's like assistant. You know, like this stair guy. He's an Olympic bronze medalist at 5K. Like, this guy's kind of a legend in American running. But he's, uh, I don't know, like he was what, in the background, like at Oregon, like he wasn't Bowerman. At the Olympics, he wasn't Billy Mills, right? But he took over for Bowerman. They won NCAA cross when he was that coach. Like, it's, he was, he began as Bowerman's assistant, but then he was the guy in the 70s, right? I think you got to give the man his due. I, I think that's what I'm saying. In his 25 years of coaching, Dellinger's men won five NCAA titles. She had 108 All-American honors and had 134 and 29 lead record. I don't know if that's track or cross country. How many years of coaching? 25. Oh, my God. Does Nike know this? This is reading from the Wikipedia. Don't tell me. Oh, my gosh. Hopefully Phil Knight's not listening to this podcast because he probably doesn't know this. Quote, in cooperation with Adidas, Dellinger developed a so-called Dellinger Web, a cushioning technology used on various shoes throughout the 80s and early 90s. Wow. Turn his back on the swoosh. Wow. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw a comparison here that maybe only a few of our listeners are going to get, but I think Bill Bauman and... Bill Dellinger, 
You could maybe say that the Bill Shankly and Bob Paisley of Oregon cross country. Do those names mean anything to you guys? No, I didn't think so. Liverpool managers, two great Liverpool managers of the, of the past, but Bill Shankly kind of built Liverpool into a superpower and then Bob Paisley took over and they achieved their highest heights under Bob Paisley. So, and he was his assistant before he took over. So I kind of view that that's the relationship. That's the analogy I'm going to draw there. I was just looking at the Wikipedia page for Oregon track and field. It's pretty interesting. They don't have a section on the Martin Smith era. Kind of leave it out. But he is the only coach since Bill Bowerman not to have an NCAA title. Although Bill Hayward himself never won an NCAA title. And Jerry Schumacher hasn't won one either. What do you mean Jerry Schumacher has never won an NCAA title? Oregon, at Oregon. <laughs> okay. What, what do you mean he's number one? Wikipedia just says, in 25 years of coaching, Delwager's men won five NCAA titles. No, you're saying Martin Smith was the only one never to win. Okay. Enough about the Oregon Palace entry, all that sort of stuff. Anything else before we get Rojo unleashed for our supporters club members at the end of the pod here? John, you got to pack. Get ready for the flight to London. Yeah, shoot. I have, I have to leave here in about two hours, and I haven't even started packing, so... Um, let's make this quick. John, is your father excited for your trip to, to the homeland? Like, would he deep down like you to marry a British girl? I mean, your odds go up when you're over there. So, I don't think he really cares who I marry. There are more Amer- there's America is a lot bigger than England. So I think my odds of marrying an American are, are significantly higher. I mean, I literally stepped away for six seconds and Robert started asking about your personal life, John. My apologies. But let's run policy, right? You fly business class now, right? Isn't that our travel policy? <laughs> News to me. I did fly first class to the US championships earlier that year because my flight was canceled and that was the only way they could rebook me. But this is not business class to London, I'll tell you that. John, when you speak over there, what do people think? Like, do you sound different to them? Oh yeah. I sound like a weirdo. And they they probably think I'm American or kind of they most people just give me a weird look, but People over here, they look at me, they're like, wait, where are you from? That No one really knows. England, the same thing. They certainly wouldn't think I have an English accent. But it does get a little stronger. When I'm over there and surrounded by English people, I start picking it up a little bit more. Are you like Hillary Clinton when she goes down to the South? Oh, Hillary Clinton. Yeah, I was thinking Brian Kelly, Massachusetts guy. It, it mean... It's sometimes it's subconscious. Hillary Clinton never had it. Like, sorry, I guess Hillary Clinton was from, she was from Arkansas too, right? But like some of these people, like Brian Kelly's never been from the South. So his thing is just weird and fake. I at least lived in England for 10 years. I used to have an English accent. So I feel like, yeah, sometimes it's just coming back. It's not be putting on airs or trying to sound English. Just kind of happens. Uh, John, for the record, Hillary Clinton is not from the South. She was born in Chicago. So she's faking it like Brian Kelly, I think. Okay. I wasn't even aware she put on an accent. So I don't really, I guess I don't know enough about Hillary Clinton. Well, in terms of putting on an act, Rocho may have put one on last night after the Cowboys' impressive victory over the New York football giants. Sports Radio 1310, the ticket. Arguably the top sports radio station in the country. Seriously. 
Rojo or Robert from Baltimore, as he was called, was the first caller on the post game show. He had a hot take. We're saving this for supporters club members only. Join today. Let's run.com slash subscribe. Not only do you get stupid takes like this, but you get a second podcast. We'll have the Friday 15 with all the breakdown from London. John's going to be in London. He's going to the press conferences. We will give you the full London Marathon preview just as Supporters Club members. You're really missing out. This membership pays for itself. You save 20% on running shoes right now. You subscribe for a year. You get our free Let's Run.com shirt. These are incredibly soft shirts. Do it today. Let's Run.com slash subscribe. Robert, do you have anything to say before we play this clip? What's well, a clip about our backup quarterback who has led us to two victories this year, one last year, three in a row, Cooper Rush. I think he's the first quarterback since Kurt Warner to win his first three games. Kurt Warner did it, and he won the Super Bowl and MVP, NFL MVP that year. He also had a fourth-quarter comeback in all three of the wins. He makes hardly any money, and I think that we can take advantage of that fact. I think it was a brilliant, brilliant take by me. It's not just about how good you are. It's about how good you are for the salary you're on. With that as a preface, here's the clip. And the caller after Rojo. All right, guys, right before we sign off, some late-breaking news here. The World Marathon Majors has just announced that they are drastically slashing the prize money for their series champions. So remember, back in the day, it used to be 500000 for the men's series champion, 500000 for the women's series champion. It was just paid to one athlete. Then they changed the prize structure. They started paying top three, 250000 to the series champion for each gender, and then 50000 for second, 25000 for third. Now, this is wild. The series champion only gets $50,000. So it used to be five years ago, $500,000. Now it's just 50000 And that's the same as what the wheelchair athletes get. 50000 for first. They're now paying five deep. But in total, men's and women's wheelchair and regular first through fifth. It, the total prize money for all four of those races for the series that is beginning next year, $400,000. So it's just a significant reduction in prize money. And I'm curious. What was it before, just trying, before, Before, just for the regular running, it would be $650,000. And then you add in the wheelchair prize money, that's another $170,000. So it was about 790-something. Now it's down to 400000 So they basically cut it in half. And for the regular runners, it's even less. It goes first place prize, 250000 Now it's down to 50000 for the series champion. be interesting to talk to some top agents, see what they think about this. But uh, I, I think this is pissing me off because we call them majors. It was a brilliant marketing thing. They probably view, they spent the money on the thing. They're now viewed as the majors and they have that. So everyone's going to respect that. They don't need to spend the money. But my biggest concern is this is going to become glorified fun runs. Well, I'm, I am concerned about this, Robert, because they're also saying they're evaluating Sydney and I think maybe Chengdu in 
China for adding to the World Marathon Mages. Like the whole big thing about the World Marathon Mages, like you said, they built it into a big brand. It's great. We care about all these races. But the big thing was the there's $500,000 for the series champion. There's real prestige attached. And if you're eliminating that carrot, these races, look, London's still wealthy. Boston's still got money. They all, uh, most of these races are still among the biggest and richest in the world in terms of like how much they can pay for appearance fees. But this, you can't spin this as a good move. Slashing it where it used to be 500,000 for first and now it's 50,000. Well, yeah, I'm worried. To be honest, I didn't really care who won the series champion most years. I mean, I guess that when Juru battle in Chicago and $500,000 on the line was epic. So maybe I did care sometimes, but th- I would rather make sure they have a minimum standard of excellence. You know, Paul Cantor has told us, you know, like, look, you guys should pay just as much attention. And we do, I think we're going to start doing this. I've always treated Dubai like a major. We probably should treat Valencia like a major. We do. Yeah. I mean, we cover Valencia. We take it seriously. Valencia, we treat just the same, but the public doesn't. And it'll be interesting to see what happens at the World Marathon Majors. Maybe we will just start calling them something else. And I'm surprised from their own marketing. Look, they're willing to take the money, right? From the, the World Marathon Major sponsor is Abbott. It's Abbott. They get plenty of money, but that's a separate issue. But, uh, Wanda is a big sponsor, right? And it's been pretty much greenlit that China is going to get a race. Why? Solely because of the money. Yet they can't give the money back to the athletes. And I would argue, is a Chinese marathon, the World Fair Marathon major, so much is about participation, expression. You're not allowed to express yourself how you want in China. It's There's no freedom of expression in China. So should a repressive country be hosting a World Marathon major? I think it's... and it's totally against what the world marathon majors is about, but I, I, I don't know. It's interesting what they do. So the, the, now the marathon, the wheelchair athletes are treated the same as the, um, runners. Are they going to feel pressure to go for like non-binary and stuff like that? I, I, the New York city marathon has non-binary prize money this year, $5,000 for first New York city, New York road runners very quietly, for the, most of their non-major races has equaled prize money from male. Well, they don't use the word male and female woman, man, and non-binary, which is absolutely nuts. We don't need a uh, prize money for non-binary, but these are private groups. They can do what they want, but you gotta be kidding me. That's it. The, 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 the column that I said about this non-binary madness has got to stop. It is going to be published. <laughs> well, that's another topic. We'll save that for another day, but yeah, John, it's very interesting because the World Marathon majors in my book, what originally created this thing, right, was elite sport. These were the most competitive, the best marathons on the planet. They had the best athletes. Are they going to go go away from that and just have these are the best fun runs in the world? Okay, well, that's a completely different thing. And then I'll we'll just start. We'll have Valencia. We'll have London. We'll have hopefully Boston, New York, Chicago. But if we're just going to add mass participation races in because they check the boxes in China and Africa and they're not going to be up to standard and we're not going to care about the elites, I, we will pay no attention to them on Let's Run. We've already seen a little bit of a shift there because they, what's their big things? The six star finish in medal, right? You get a, they encourage everyone to run all six races and that's fine. Like these races, they want people to run their races. That's part of how they get 
funding for the elite fields, right? Is these races are profitable. They're getting a lot of money on entry fees. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But like you said, well then, we don't want to see them getting away from elite sport. There still should be value in assembling top fields, in winning these races should mean something. And you know, most of these races still are very supportive of their elite fields. You know, I, I don't think I, we need to totally criticize them. But when you say, okay, we're slashing our prize money budget for the series champions, that is not a step in the right direction towards promoting elite sport. This is an opportunity for us. We can have the let's run majors and we'll, we'll take the payment and then a couple hundred thousand, we get to keep the money and they get the prestige by us and identifying you as a major. Well, John will be at a world marathon major tomorrow morning. He'll be boots on the ground in London until then. Now is here is the Robert Johnson clip for supporters club members until our Friday 15 signing off. If you listen this far and you're not a supporters club member, you really need to be. How else are you going to get the inside scoop for the London Marathon? Come on, people. Join today. Let's run.com slash subscribe. You get a second podcast every week. All the Let's Run content. Insider access. A special VIP forum. 20% savings on running shoes. Join for a year. You get the softest running shirt in the business. It's the coolest club in running. Let's run.com slash subscribe. Link in the show notes.